Hey everyone, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I am excited about starting a new season with you. And before I actually tell you what we're going to be doing, I have a special request. For those of you who are my faithful listeners, I am asking if you would consider sharing this podcast with one or two people you know who would love to listen to this podcast. And as you can imagine, being a podcaster, you need to build an audience. And so I'm thinking that if each one of us sends this along to one other person, we will be um, building as each podcast continues. So thank you in advance for anything you can do to help us out. Well, let me tell you where what we're going to be doing. I'm going to be dropping a podcast once a week until we're through uh, this season. I'm going to be sharing a story I wrote about a young man whose doubts, feelings of failure, and struggles lead him on an identity journey that I would say revitalizes his faith, but not necessarily the way we think of that. So in between each chapter, I craft a conversation between what I imagine is happening in the spiritual realm between God and the enemy. On the show, I read for a few minutes and then interview my special guest to discuss what God is doing behind the scenes in our lives as he rebuilds the church. Today's special guest, I'm so excited for you to meet. Her name is Pastor Laurel Bunker. She's going to give us a spirit-filled perspective on how Jesus wants us to rebuild the church. Particularly, she's focusing on generations that are younger than we are. So, for more than 20 years, Pastor Laurel Bunker has been a leader in fields of higher education, nonprofit business management, and church leadership, and parachurch ministry. And she's a speaker, te- teacher, and minister of the gospel. And I'm really excited for you to find out how contagious Laurel's joy and boldness and passion is for the Lord Jesus. So, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. <laughs> Chapter 1. David turned off the ignition of his Range Rover and took a deep breath before stepping out into the parking lot to greet his friend and workout buddy. Hey Ben, I almost didn't make it this morning. I'm so sore from yesterday. How about you? Doing good, buddy. Come on, let's run inside and get started. It's leg day and I will need all the motivation I can to muster up to keep with you. Ben slapped David on the back while letting out a laugh when the look on his friend's face caught his eye. What's up, my friend? You seem distant or distracted, something. As the two young men started in on a light jog around the indoor track, David knew he couldn't hide much from Ben. After five years of working out together almost daily, Ben and David's conversations came easy and light. Completely out of the blue, I got a phone call late yesterday afternoon from the mayor of the town where I grew up. The mayor? Why was he calling you? Do you have a record or some kind of history I don't know about? Ben asked jokingly. Ha! Maybe. No. The crazy part is how he even found me. I guess he discovered an old box in his attic with letters we wrote back and forth when I was a college student. He looked up that old address, drove to my growing up home, and asked my dad for my contact information. Wow. You and the mayor were pen pals? What was that, like eight or ten years ago? It was ten years ago. He reminded me of how we first met. When I first walked into his office raising money for a mission trip where I was part of a traveling band that shared Jesus with people. Ben heard something in David's voice that hinted at sarcasm, or was it something else? Apparently, when I told the mayor why I wanted to travel with the band, he played the devil's advocate with me for almost an hour. As he described our conversation in his office, the memories quickly formed in my mind as I saw my former self. 
The devil's advocate? What do you mean? Ben asked breathlessly as they turned the corner for another lap. I guess when he questioned my faith, I wouldn't back down. In fact, he told me I was so bold about my faith and what I believed that I stood up and explained the doctrine of salvation, the Trinity, and how Jesus was my true identity. I'd say that's an amazing phone call to get. I mean, how encouraging to hear from someone from your past who admired you and said you were an inspiration. Ben slowed his pace with David as they walked toward the weight room. Still unclear why his friend had a heaviness about him, he asked one last question. So, did the mayor say why he called you? I don't see how it's a troubling call. Yeah. He wanted to know, after these ten years, if I was still that same young man, the guy with such a bold faith. And what'd you say? David stopped running, bent over with his hands on his knees, turned to Ben, and with a look of incredible remorse said, I told him no. No, Mr. Stafford, I am not that same guy. Chapter 2 Voice of Destruction You know what I'm asking for you today, right, O Most High? Voice of Love Back down. Your power plays cannot stand against me. Voice of Destruction I won't leave your presence until I say what I want. Voice of Love Deceiver and divider, every word you utter permeates with evil. You can ask for anything, you can say anything, but your deceptive words and ways are broken off in my presence. I know what you're doing. In my sovereignty, all decisions rule. Voice of Destruction Deception may be broken off in your presence, but not in the world. Just because your sovereignty rules in this universe doesn't mean I will ever stop fighting your son's work to keep the peace. Very well. I will ask you, today I want a soul. Voice of Love I know who you are after this time. My beloved child, David. Voice of Destruction David? I went after his soul years ago. I already have him. Voice of Love You fool! No, you don't have him. Your disgusting ways have mixed you up. He feels like a failure inside because you are fighting against his thoughts relentlessly. From the moment David was formed in his mother's womb, my eyes have never left his heart. Never. In searching David's heart, I've come to know his thoughts and the intricacies of who he is. A magnificent human being. Voice of Destruction we all know I can make his inner being, his real self, darker. David has turned away from you for far too long and too many times. It's not just doubt he feels about you. It's incessant disappointment about you and him. I started pointing my finger at him when he was just a child. Oh, I was so delighted when he felt worthlessness for the first time. Voice of Love Why do you shadow my presence? Your darkness is not dark to me. David's final push down the stairs of disappointment came at your wickedness during his teen years when you tempted him with thoughts of his life not being worth living. With my hand on his heart, I became so familiar with every single one of his ways. Oh, how I loved getting to know David as an individual. He is so unique. And now I wait. I am watching and waiting for David to choose his truest self as I gaze at him through your veneer shadow casting.
voice of destruction. Are you offering me a challenge? Do I hear you saying I cannot keep David as one of my own? Of course, I treat my children differently than you treat your creatures. You just take each one and make them just like you without giving them choices. Whereas my temptations feel so very good, as if that one choice was calling out their name. Voice of Love David, created with my own fingers, was made to reflect the sensitive side of our nature. His perspective of life is so precious that I matched specific jobs for only him to accomplish. Some yet-to-be successes in life I still have for him. The wealth of wisdom I still have stored up personally for his journey. I love David, but I don't take my precious children. I wait for them to turn to me, and he will make choices and decisions for himself. It may come with the fight of his life, but he will fight. I'm standing behind him as we speak. Voice of destruction. He will not. The challenge is on. I will destroy any faith David has left in his miserable spirit. Voice of love. As I continue creating David's faith, I test it along the way. Because of my resourcefulness, I allow your temptations for such a time as this. May his faith not fail. Laurel Bunker, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I am going to actually let you tell us about yourself before we jump in and talk about our topic today. Um, it's so good to have you here. I, I get to see your face, which makes it even better conversation. But Laurel, would you please let my listeners know a little bit about, before we talk about what you do as your job, we want to know about you as a person, as a woman. I am a wife of 24 years, a mom of a 17 and a and 19 year old girls. Mm. I love fashion and <laughs> makeup. <laughs> and she's got some rocking earrings right now, if you only could see. That's it. right. So I am a girl's girl. I tell you, um, I love gardening. Um, and I, you know, I think if, if there's, if you want to find me on a given day, I'm either at Costco, Target, or <laughs> Ulta Beauty. Costume oh, yes. All right. Something. All right. What's your go-to a foundation? Uh, you know, right now, if it's a not super expensive one, it's NYX or NYX. Okay, gotcha. Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. If I am doing a, a a higher level one, I really like Estee Lauder, but I also really like uh Tarte, and Ooh, you know, so okay. I have I have more than I can even. I have a whole tray, <laughs> like I have a side tray on the side of my bed, and it's also like a more like cosmetics. Oh yeah. Mac cosmetics. But I just, I, I have always kind of, that's a side thing that I did in college is I was a cosmetic artist really? in college. Yes, I was. And part of that is we'll get into is as a black woman growing up in the sixties and seventies, what everybody remembers going into Walgreens yeah. where well, there was nothing that matched me. And so every black woman wanted to look pretty like everyone else. And so with the exception of a very few cosmetic lines I was always kind of a mad scientist trying to mix colors that's awesome and yeah. um there were a lot of other women as well who just would try to take remember when we'd see like Maybelline or other yeah. things and they were behind the plastic packaging yeah. everybody was kind of guessing and oftentimes you'd pick up a bottle of something and then you'd open it and it was always lighter inside <laughs> than what the package was always 
you know, so I'm that, I'm that girl. I'm the mad scientist, but I, I wanted to feel beautiful like anybody else. And that got me involved in the joy of cosmetics and kind of the, the simplicity of a little bit of gloss or lipstick and how that makes you feel, but mm. doing it right so that you're not hiding behind it. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's me. I love to garden. Um, I'm the third of five kids. Oh, born and where, where were you born? I'm born and raised in St. Paul, oh, Minnesota. Okay. I live in the same neighborhood okay. that I was born and raised in. Uh, my mom was raised in Minneapolis. My dad was raised in St. Paul, but was born in Chicago. He is the second oldest of 10 kids. Whoa. Um, so he, yeah. So the first five, they call themselves the majors and the minors. <laughs> and so the majors, the first five, the major leaguers were born in Chicago and then they moved here and the minor leaguers were born here in what is called the historic Rondo district, a historic African-American community here in the twin cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. So, and then here you are. And here I am. All right. So now Laurel, tell us, um, I'm going to tell my audience, uh, how I know Laurel actually is I met her personally. I, I actually think I met you when you came to George Fox or was it the first time that I met you down in San Diego when we were at a CCCU conference? I don't know. I think when I, to George but, Fox to preach the first time when okay when uh Sarah Thomas Baldwin was still there okay okay so that may have been it but then we really got to connect when we were down at the conference at CCCU we had a meeting we had a little picture with Rick Warren it was like this like little special moment we <laughs> anyway like, Rick uh, <laughs> You are like, come here, Rick. <laughs> come here, Rick. Yeah, we you got him on over. Picture with us. Picture. <laughs> and then, but my favorite part is the next day, and I don't even know where we were. I think we were like sitting at it. We just had this powerful prayer. I mean, it was so prophetic. This that we were praying for each other. It was I? It, it's one of my highlights of going to the CCCU conferences. And I remember that particular weekend that I was there a week, I was working on a talk for a, a, a conference that following week, and I just felt anointed for it. That's what I remember. So, so thank you for that. But anyway, Laurel is a campus minister, but you have a different title now. Yes, I'm the vice president of Christian formation um, and church relations at Bethel, which the new president at Bethel thinks is a little bit long. So I'm in the midst of changing my title. So if anyone can think of what I need to be, <laughs> yeah, there you I'll go. send you a lipstick if you can help me. So I'm kind of calling myself the VP of faith initiatives right now or ministry initiatives. And so I oversee um, the, all of the spiritual formation activities really of the, particularly in the undergraduate level. So I am the campus pastor, the primary preacher in the chapel, but also oversee a staff and team of people that oversee missions, discipleship, worship, chapel, prayer initiatives. And then I am the uh, connecting point between Bethel and Converge Worldwide, which is our denomination, Converge in Orlando, Florida, which was the Swedish Baptist. Yeah. Was, I did. Okay. I did not realize that. Yep, okay. It was Swedish Baptist. We were founded in 1871 by John Alexis Edgren. So we, were start, we started as a seminary in Chicago. And um, after the great Chicago fire, John Alexis Edgren and the person that he had started with um, split and John Alexis Edgren came here. So we were started as a seminary to help Swedish Baptist immigrants uh, be able to teach the gospel to Swedes. And so we are a Swedish, we were the Swedish Baptist denomination that became um, Converge Worldwide. And then we just became Converge. So we're in Orlando, okay. Florida. Our offices are right across 
the street from Campus Crusade, from Wycliffe, all of those, we are directly across the street uh, from okay. there. And our, new, our, our recent grounds were given to us by uh, Vaughn, uh, uh, by the Bright family, by Bill Bright and his wife. Okay, so the, the university has quite a bit of relationship with that then. Yes, we are the only Converge kind of institution that there is. So we, we when they moved to Minneapolis, um, St. Paul, they, they uh, joined with a normal school, and then they became a college, and then they became a university. So there's been a number of iterations, but we have always been first and foremost a seminary. Um, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. That's really good to know. And what a great place for you to thrive, really. Yes. Yeah. It's been, it's different. It's a challenge, certainly. I mean, God, well, let's, talk, let's talk about that for just a minute before, yeah. because I do think that it's a challenge. But what would you say, looking over your years as a campus minister, pastor, executive leader? Yep. Uh, what changes do you see happening in the spiritual lives of young adults? Well, I, I think certainly young adults are pressing into um, both the opportunities that uh, the global challenges are presenting to us. So I think there's a level of boldness that I have never seen in a generation um, as ever before. I also think that they're wrestling with the discontent of what they have inherited in the church. Okay, okay, so unpack that. What is the discontent they've inherited in the church? Well, I think, particularly when we talk about evangelicals, I think young white evangelicals are um, concerned about the way that they have seen the church um, or the lack of the ways that they've seen the church model hospitality to the other. So I think they are really concerned about how the evangelical church has addressed racism, sexism, and sexuality. Um, I think that uh, certainly in the book, You Lost Me, um, identified six primary things that they identified mm -hmm. as concerns. And one of those was that they didn't hear enough about Jesus. They, mm -hmm. they have seen a lot of churches with coffee shops and soft gospel, but not that was preaching the cross and the truth of the gospel. And I think um, they're really discontented about that. I would say that they're a generation that feels as though they can have a high view of scripture. They can believe in the fullness of the gospel and still love their gay neighbor. And for a lot of pastors, it feels mm -hmm. like that's been the make or break as if um, they, people, as students have said to me, it feels like pastors feel like our job is to tell gay people or gay friends, um, they're sinful. And yet statistics are telling us that over 80% of Christian pastors or Christian men have watched pornography. So where, mm -hmm. where, how are you mm -hmm. gonna tell us to walk in holiness if you're breaking your own covenantal vows by the numbers, by the sheer numbers watching pornography? Um, how are you gonna tell us to tell our friends really that there's no hope, that they're sinful when they already know that? Um, what about we as women who feel like we're called to ministry and we've been treated so mean mm -hmm. in such a mean-spirited way um, by men who have essentially told us sit down or your only calling is to be a wife that you did hear correctly if you felt like you were called mm -hmm. to ministry. And certainly what we're seeing with race and with racism, the kind of tone deafness to the cry of, of those of us who are persons of color, um, the way that we've dealt with immigration um, a lot of those things has just, I think, been heartbreaking for a young generation that has said, if this is the way that you want to model this, we're just not convinced that this is the way that we want to live our Christian 
lives. But it's but what I hear you saying is both. I hear you saying that there's a more of a boldness, more of a passion. But so have there been spiritual implications of what you just said when it comes to going to church? Oh yeah, pursuing the faith. What are the what are the implications? What are the what is the fallout of this? Well, I, I mean, I think if we look at Barna research and we look at others, I mean, we've seen over the years a steady um, increase of the nuns, as we call them, N O N E S, the nuns, mm-hmm. those young people who would say not simply because of Christianity, but I think the way that they have seen religion dealt with overall that there are, we're seeing an increase in the numbers of people who have said they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Uh, We see fewer uh, Gen Zers and um, certainly millennials who are um, going to church. Um, Some of them believe that, you know, they want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to be a part of traditional churches. They don't want to feel pressured to tithe. They don't want to deal with some of the political stuff. And so some of them are willing to, they've started Um, small church groups in their homes um, where they're out giving their collective money in the streets or they're meeting in coffee shops or other places. So it's not that Christians as a whole or young evangelicals are completely abandoning the faith. They are simply experiencing their walk with Jesus. um, And I think a, a kind of a peripheral way outside of the traditional church. But Laurel, have you seen in, at all in your in your sphere where or heard where young people are walking away from faith or no? Oh yeah, yeah, there are okay. those that are. Do you and, think that's a minority? Uh, I would say that I would say yes. I would say that there are several categories. I think that parents, that people, that women need to hear those who are listening that. Anyone who looks at and does the work that myself or others have been doing for years have got to realize that all of us, including adults, get to a point where there's a crisis of belief moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But the people who have a crisis of belief who may walk away from church for a period of time, that does not mean that they will not cycle back and circle back. And so, and I I find a lot of parents feel very guilty and very scared and, and are looking for a place to place blame kind of like well it it was that school you guys didn't work hard enough or it was that professor who said that well Mm -hmm. you know a lot of young people are have have struggled maybe it it was the suicide of a friend maybe it was a divorce in a family Um, maybe it was some secret sins they had wrestled with we got to remember that just like god is real so is satan and so i'm really trying to say to parents and others Crisis of belief is not simply reserved for young people between the ages of 18 and 21. (laughs) Many of you have had crises of belief too, but you've just kept on at it or just kept going to church. But look at the numbers of us who are in church, who are discontented, who gossip, who are angry, who had a falling out with Mm -hmm. someone at church and never bothered to resolve it and then just stopped going. What we haven't learned to do is to be healthy about our crises of faith. And so we just let the enemy pick and pick and pick at our souls and we just become discontented. And so I think part of our work is to look at what is out there, but also to realize some of Barna research and others, I sometimes look at that and say, well, who are you talking to? Because I also see a revival happening around the world. Um, I see a generation of young people as never before hitting the streets, um, Mm -hmm. crying out. I see some amazing young revivalists like um, Ben and Aaron Pierce and the Pierce family, Steiger International, 
people who are going to the underground goths, Satanists, dark places of the world and the gospels being preached and revivals are breaking out in mm. places where we would say, you know, revival, we're praying for revival here in the U.S., but guess what? Revival's already happening in the underground churches in China, in Rwanda, uh, where they've seen genocide, in the Middle East, where the media is not going to tell you that. Um, God is moving boldly and mightily. We can never doubt God's move in the earth. Okay, so would you say that that same mighty movement is happening in the United States? Yes, I would say it just looks, I would l- think it looks different because one of the things that we often see that accompanies revival is points of crisis. Mm, which we are right now. We are right now in the middle of it. I can tell mm. you at, living here in the epicenter of Minneapolis-St. Paul with the, mm. with the, the death of George Floyd, what mm-hmm. the media will not show you or, or perhaps tell you consistently is there are hundreds of people who have given their lives to Christ. At 38th in Chicago, at the site where George Floyd was murdered, his family asked that ministry continue to go forth. And, mm. and it's not just kind of, quote unquote, liberal churches, churches that are evangelicals. Evangelicals are waking up and saying, number one, to churches of color, forgive us for being tone deaf mm-hmm. and for turning a blind eye at your pain, not just now, but for years and years and years forgive us that's happening in your city oh yeah right now i mean black pastors white pastors hispanic pastors asian pastors Mm -hmm. people who aren't even i mean um people who are um of other faiths are 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 all marching together in peaceful protest and um but pastors are also down there together and they were baptizing people with water bottles and then they had to bring in a big trough (laughs) <laughs> and, and they start baptizing people. There is a, a video that's out there that I could send you, Pam, of a former young gang, uh, uh, a young man that was selling drugs, a drug dealer who gave his life to Christ and was baptized on the spot. They're doing revivals down there. Wow, this is not on the news. No, of course not, because the news no. doesn't want to tell you the whole story because they, don't, they want ratings. Yeah. If they can make us feel scared of each other. If they can make you feel huh. like one night of rioting, is the same thing of many nights of peaceful protest? Of course, because it jacks up their ratings. But we have to remember too, folks, this is Satan's domain. Why would secular media tell you the truth? Mm. Why would they lift up the name of Jesus? They're not gonna tell you what God is doing in these streets, but we should know it. We don't need to be ignorant of the devil's devices. So wait, let's, let's, I need you to tease that out for all of us right here. One of my questions that I really, really was excited to hear for, uh, talk to you about today was this idea that there is, we are in a spiritual warfare in the United States. Oh, yeah. But what is it about us that we're not aware that that's what it is, if I'm asking that right? Well, I, I mean, I think there's a number of things. I think it may be our religious diversity. I mean, some of us are very aware, as you had mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, that you and I, there was a time we flowed. The Holy Spirit revealed some stuff to us by the yeah. Spirit. Mm-hmm. You and I talked a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things I said, and, and I say this in all humility, I think that for, even from the inception of our, our country, some people, there's a difference between church-going folks and folks who have surrendered fully to Jesus Christ, number one. Hmm. Number two... Hmm. I think that in the Western world, not just in the U.S., but in Europe, we have replaced the Holy Spirit for intellectualism. 
we like what we can understand and what we can explain. Hmm. And the move of God in the earth is not uh, simply relegated to what you can explain. There is a need that we all bowed to a God that we cannot see because God made himself real to us through the Holy Spirit and revealed his son, mm. Jesus Christ. Mm. Mm. And that same God, right, is moving throughout the earth and is doing great exploits. But we, if we don't understand it, we sometimes um, Doubt talk it. each other down mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. we've argued theologically. We, we've torn each other apart. Um, cessationist. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't still fill. Um, and then you've got these over here who are charismatics or Pentecostals. Yes, he does still fill. <laughs> We've seen the, the battle back and forth between R.T. Kendall and um, um, John MacArthur. You know, we've seen these back and forth. And what we haven't done is to say, okay, Lord, help us to, 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 not, to listen to these important theologians and voices, but not pick each other apart. That's what it says in, in, in Galatians. You guys are, you're biting into each other and you're tearing each other apart, church. And while we're doing that, our young people are watching and saying, what is wrong with you? How can we give hope for the world if you can't even have a basic conversation and you say you know the God of all creation? How? How? Where's your humility? So we're really, what we're saying is that in our country, in the United States, the enemy is using something that is a good thing, our intellect, our ability to reason, our ability to, to talk against us. And we've turned it into a God in many ways. Oh yeah, I think, our, I think we need to own, if we want revival to come, it's not the onus isn't on the Lord. <laughs> I agree, he's, he's right, right The onus here. isn't on the Lord, he's told us in, in, in Second Chronicles. He's told us the formula, but we have to collectively repent for, the way that we have drawn lines and not just we've used politics against each other, race against each other, gender against each other, denominationalism against each other. We've used these things. And, and rather than Jesus at the center, we've put our dogma and other things at the center. This reminds me of Phyllis Tickle's book, The Great Emergence. Do you remember that book that she put out no. in 2008? It no. is a tiny little book on how every 500 years the church has a rummage sale. And she creates this incredible metaphor that was so helpful for me because, you know, she's super smart and you read her books and you got to put them down. And But at the end, she said, that's basically once we are willing to lay down all of our what we have to have in order to be called Christian, then we are going to experience yep. the most powerful institution on earth like never before. And that's, she's basically, she wrote this book in 08, I believe, saying we are about to have another rummage sale. And are we ready to sell everything out? Yeah. And I think that's where we are. We are. And hear me, like, I, I want to, I have spent 25 years in the word, studying the word. I am seminary trained. I, I, I get I get the desire and I am by no means critiquing harshly or attempting to critique harshly our intellectual prowess. We need that. But we've got I have a we have to have balance with laying before the Lord humility in the spirit, um, not just checking with God to make sure that what I'm hearing is right, hmm. um, but, but walking in humility, facing our fears, stepping into the darkness, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us. Um, being willing to be a bridge 
right? As I said, of being a bridge, not a wall, um, dismantling the lies that the enemy has sown in our hearts about each other, um, it, allowing nuance in our conversations to exist. Because I want to be right too, guys. I want, I want to know that I am theologically smack dab in a way, in, a, in the place where God is being glorified. I'm not willing to take on any ideas that are um, discrediting or turning God or the gospel into something. Yeah, that that's good. Fleshy. I don't want that either, but I also don't want to assume that I'm right all of the time. And therefore I get to crank my little sanctified head at somebody else across the spiritual mm -hmm. aisle and act as though you need to repent as, and, and God's like, okay, but that little head cranking and the <laughs> attitude that you just had, sweetheart, you need to repent for that because that is not of me. So, so, uh, Laurel, would you say that this repentance that you're talking about, is it something that we need to ha have happen corporately? Is it enough for it just to be independent in our bedrooms, on our floors, by ourselves? I think it's both. I think we have to repent daily, right? God gave us yes. repentance, not as a one-time thing. Okay, right. I'm ready for salvation. Let me repent to me yeah. daily. It's okay. absolutely. Everything. I'm turning to him a thousand times a day. <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive me for the things I've done and the things yeah. I failed to do, and my attitude in looking at that person, my soundbite attitude because I didn't take the time to read something thoroughly. I scanned yeah. it and developed yeah. an attitude before mm. I knew. Um, and so, it yes, we need the individual, but then we need a corporate voice, a corporate cry. The reason that we remember the Azusa revival or the Toronto blessing or the other things is because of the collective hearts of people mm -hmm. who came from near and far and got on their faces and dealt with discomfort and, and unair conditioned rooms and mm. crushed bo bodies crushed together simply to get a vision of the glory of God. And they were willing to deal with sleeplessness and they weren't afraid about who heard them when they went up to the mic and they were not afraid to stand up in the front of the church and say, I, I sinned, I cheated on my wife, I repent, I, God forgive me. When we stop being so concerned about who's going to hear my story or what are they going to do with it, when you realize that it's God alone who is breaking your heart and, 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 and trampling your sin um, and covering it by his holy blood, when we all, when we are less concerned about who's heard what I did and more concerned about, Lord, use my testimony to bring somebody else to your glory. Mm. When we stop being so afraid of death and, and stop being so, pres our, our preservative of life, when we stop being so afraid of dealing with pain or discomfort, and we realize that that's a part of the journey. It's a part of what Jesus dealt with betrayal and hurt and religious attitude yeah. and, and sleeping friends and kissed friends who kissed him on the cheek. And he still went to the cross for us and endured unimaginable suffering. And when we realize that that is how those broad, rugged shoulders that were hung on and impaled for us when we realize that's the only reason, not your race, your gender, your mama's name, who was a deacon in your church. When you realize that's the only reason you're saved and it brings you to tears when you think about it. 
you will use your life to bring somebody else to salvation, not because of your denomination, Amen, right. not because the even the event, you know, the evangelism team, all five of them. <laughs> but, but you, but you are willing yeah. to say, God, I'm willing to go wherever you send me. So where do you see this? Be prophetic for me for a moment. Where do you see this happening for the future of the leaders of the church? Talking to the, our, our younger generation when we're in a quarantine right now. Uh huh. But you know what? We're, it's not the only time that we've seen pandemic in the earth. It's not the only time we saw plagues or anything of the nature of it. Yeah, true. God, you, true. God used a number of them and then said, let my people go. You know, uh, it's not the only time that we've seen it. We've seen the Black Plague and other things. And yeah, we, we, we must cry out and continue to pray for, um, for the, the, the hundreds and thousands of people who have died as a result of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, we must be humble enough to say, we don't know the source and don't you dare blame Asian folk. Let me just prophesy right there. Hmm. Don't you dare part your mouth to say Asian folk, blah, blah. I mean, it is, it is, it is crazy to me, the number of people, the number of Asian brothers and sisters who have had to deal with hurt people who have been assaulted um because oh, oh yeah okay so it, it 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 started in wuhan china and then all of a sudden it just landed on every asian person in the united states of america and all of a sudden they're the ones who are the carriers please stop please stop it right now i mean that's just an embarrassment um but we've we've we've, we've i've seen that and i've seen asian brothers and sisters afraid for themselves afraid because that mm. narrative has gone on around the earth and uh -huh. that to me is a, is a form of spiritual warfare oh. because, because the enemy is using us to say things that come out of our mouths that only bring shame. Oh. And that is not of God. Look for someone to blame. Let's look yes. for someone to that, blame. Let's and you look. would agree, Laurel, right? That that is what we are now puppets in the hand of the enemy. Oh. If we don't walk by faith, if we don't walk by the, right? The Lord said he was going to give us the paracletos. The Holy the Spirit, yep, Amen. Right? the helper who would mm -hmm. teach us all things that we need to know every day. Pray for a fresh revelation of the, from, of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Pray that God would give you supernatural eyes and ears to hear and see what God is saying. And of course, test it by the word. Open the word of God because the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict the gospel. That's right. The Holy Spirit of God is God. And so read though, and, and, and say, okay, Lord, and ask, pray. One of the things I've prayed for all of my life and God has granted it is discernment. Lord, mm -hmm. what is your voice? What is Satan's voice? And what is my voice? And how do I discern who is talking? Because take that back to my, take that back to my main character in my book. Yes. And I want you to just, I, now I want you to talk to the people listening right now mm -hmm. as if they do not understand what you just said. You just said that the Lord will discern the voices for you. So yes. talk about that for just a minute. Well, thinking about my main character. So, so in the quiet of your own Bible study, your own time, you know, um, you must know that from the very time that you were born, that uh, you were born in sin, scripture says, and shapen in iniquity. And that God, while God has had a plan for your life, Satan has also watched. 
and he has sought to wreak havoc in your life to stunt your spiritual growth. He has used sexual abuse, brokenness of family, um, hurts and wounds, bullying, being picked on, being overweight or underweight, um, perhaps dealing with um, being poor. He's used all those things from the very beginning to try to get you to believe this lie, that God somehow has blessed everyone else except for you. That somehow when he, when he was handing out or speaking anointing and blessing, that somehow he forgot you. Let me just prophesy and say that God wants to continue to use you. That because we are in a world that is so broken, Satan's voice has been so amplified by sin and darkness in the world that it makes God look so small and it makes Satan look so large. But some of us in our own denominationalism or other things have never heard the truth that the work of Jesus Christ and what he gave us uh, through the death, his death and burial and resurrection unleashed into the earth and into your life, a holy fire and, and power to destroy the works of the devil. That is what Jesus said to us in John, that he came for this reason, to destroy the works of the devil. That's John 10.10 right. 10 says that the thief comes for only this reason, to steal, kill, and destroy. Woman of God, where has he stolen from you? Where has he tried to kill your dreams? Where has he tried to destroy your belief that God is still all-powerful and all-knowing? Where has he tried to make you believe that pain in your life means that God looked the other way rather than how God, because of Satan's work in your life that he has tried to hem you up by your pain. God wants to deliver and heal you and set you free everywhere that you hurt. And he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and put his very spirit in you and unleash in you the ability to not hide in shame, but to expose, to shame your shame, to say, move out of the way and let me expose that devil hiding in the crevice of your heart. Let me teach you to uproot the deep tap roots in your life of brokenness, of anger, of unforgiveness, of, of all of those things. Let me pull those up and then let me fill in all that got pulled up with the Holy Ghost. Let me clean you out, Mary Magdalene. Let me clean you out. Let me, let me shame your shame, not shame you. Let me expose what the enemy has lied and let me speak tenderly to you. Let me cover you with my love. Let me show you. Let me clean you up. Hmm. And, and too many of us have, have felt as though somehow God abandoned us. He forgot about us. And so we've, we have lived our spiritual lives feeling as though God just passed us by where hmm. he's here saying, no, I didn't pass you by the enemy has tried to whisper to you. He's taken a little bit of lie here and a little bit of truth here. And because you didn't know my voice or the Holy Spirit's voice, you felt as though we weren't speaking at all. Hmm. And so God wants to heal you where you hurt and he wants to give you fresh revelation. He wants to spit in the dirt and he wants to put that salve on your eyes. And he's saying, Go wash. What do you see? And like the man who couldn't see, I, say, I see men as trees that go wash again and see clearly and purely what I have, what I'm speaking over your life. Sisters, I couldn't see it when I was a scared, picked on, bullied kid who, 
who didn't see herself as black enough for the black kids. I wasn't enough for them. And I wasn't, was too black for the white kids. And I felt alone and lonely and scared. And I felt like I would stare at Christ on the cross and say, what do you want with me? And why did you give me a heart to love people that don't love me back? I didn't understand that, that there were things, there was this wicked brew that Satan was stirring up in my life. And I felt like Jesus was always past my fingertips, some fresco on the ceiling of a gold gilded church. Instead, I didn't know to ask him to be the Lord of my life. And when I did, then he showed me there were some lies, some taproots, some things that I needed to allow him to come into and pull those things up. And when I learned to hear his voice, his tender voice, and learned to trust his touch, and learned to hear the lies of the devil, and did God really say? And when I learned how Satan comes and how he sneaks, then I learned the difference and I learned spiritual warfare. I learned how to live a life in the spirit. And that's what the word of God says. If you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And too many of us never learned to walk in the spirit. Mm. So I pray today for freedom for someone who's listening. An aha, an epiphany. The scales fall from your eyes, the hardness of your heart that God wants to take your heart of stone, scripture says, and make it a heart of flesh, that, that he wants to take all the pain, that divorce, that hurt, and he wants to say, that doesn't disqualify you, that qualifies you. If it qualified Mary Magdalene, who had slept with countless men, the woman at the well, who had had five husbands and a sixth that she was living with, if it qualified the Gerardine demoniac, if it qualified others who were set free it qualifies you and more than ever before we need your pain to be turned into ministry because we know that our daughters are in the streets that children are being sex trafficked that god is loosing the bondages of women coming out of pornography that he's causing people from other parts of the world to come here looking for freedom and if we don't see them in the spirit we will only judge them in the flesh and we will be partners in the heartbreak and in the breaking of the souls of people rather than being partners with God and being a part of the freedom of the captives. And so I, I pray for someone who has just been saying, Lord, give me an answer. This is your answer today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Amen. Don't harden your heart. Let it go. Let the, the regret go, the shame go, the I'm not enough go, the why did I do that go, the secret alcoholism go, that secret affair, repent of it, and, and be let go, and, and be called into the, the inner circle, the beloved of God. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Amen. And with that, I think we're going to say it is good. It is good. It is good. Thank you, Pastor Laurel. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for blessing my listeners. Thank you for loving us, God. While we were yet sinners, that you died for us, Jesus. While we were caught in trespasses and sins, um, thank you for loving us and walking us across the broken body of Jesus Christ safely into the arms of God. There's no safer place to be, God. The world is seemingly on fire, um, and yet you use the fires and the trials of our lives to make us pure gold. Thank you for the refiner's fire. Help us not to fear it. 
There was a fourth man in the fiery furnace, even with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes. And they came out of that fire refined and without smelling like smoke, and their clothes were not burned. Lord, some of our sisters feel like they are, they're, they're, they're drowning. But you said, Lord, when the enemy comes in as a flood, you will raise up a standard against him. So we thank you for freedom today. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, yes, God. Lord, I want to pray for the young men listening yes. today. And Father, I, I thank you now for their ears because you planted yes. that ear that they could hear. Yes. And Lord, I ask right now in the mighty name of Jesus that any mm. grace, any grace, Lord, that is just waiting mm -hmm. for them, that they will mm -hmm. just turn their eyes to you and that you would flood their soul mm -hmm. with unmerited grace, Lord, that they would experience so much of your joy mm. because they turn to you. Mm -hmm. And Father God, I pray that they would know, mm -hmm. as Pastor Laurel prayed, that without a shadow of a doubt, all the various trials that they've been experiencing mm -hmm. have been to test their faith, to show the genuineness mm -hmm. that is greater right now, than God. any goal, that is greater than any success at a job, that is greater, Lord, than... Um, Anything this world can give, and I pray and ask right now that mm -hmm. as that young man has turned to you, lifted mm -hmm. his face to you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ask God that the love would flood into their heart and mind, mm -hmm. soul, and they would say, yes, Lord, I give you permission to work in my life. Mm -hmm. I surrender to you mm -hmm. as King Jesus. And we seal this, Lord. We seal this prayer time in the mighty name because of what you've done, Lord, and because your presence is with us right now. Amen and amen. Amen.